All right, well, good morning. All right, it is so great to see everybody here. Thank you so much for joining us at Northwest Community Church. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege and honor to be able to share with you here this morning. Easter really is the best holiday, isn't it? Amen? Some of you are like, no, I like Christmas. I like presents. Well, Easter really is the best holiday because without Easter, there wouldn't be a whole lot to celebrate with Christmas or with any other holiday in the Christian calendar, right? If you think about it, Easter really is the most important day of the year for those of us that believe in Jesus. And I just want to paint a picture for you this morning of what you're a part of. This morning on this planet, there's upwards of 2 billion people or more that are gathered together in services like this or that look very different than this that are celebrating Jesus Christ. By some estimates, it's one third of the world's population would stand up and proclaim, I believe in Jesus. So that is what you are joining in here this morning. Just the very fact that we call this 2015 means all of our span of time and measurement in years is based off of one person and his life and his name's Jesus. And that's who we're here to celebrate here this morning. When you think about Easter, there's a lot of things that come to mind. You think about all the flowers coming up, right? How many people did some gardening yesterday? Went to Home Depot and Lowe's and nurseries and such. Yes, lots of you, right? Springtime is here, at least in this part of the country. I moved here from Michigan, so a year ago I was uh, Easter in Michigan. A lot different than Easter in North Carolina. Praise the Lord for springtime and sunshine and warm weather, right? But when we think about Easter, we think about that idea of new growth and new life. Even the secular side of things with bunnies and eggs and stuff like that, it still carries along that idea that somehow things are being made new. And that's what we want to focus on here this morning. There are many reasons that people come to church on Easter Sunday. Maybe some of you are here visiting. Maybe some of you go to church every single week. Maybe some of you haven't been to church in a really long time. But regardless, we welcome you all. And let me just throw out a couple ideas of why people may be here this morning. For some, perhaps, you're chasing after and looking for those childhood memories. Maybe you remember growing up and wearing all the brightly colored clothing and everything that went along with going to church on Easter Sunday and you're kind of searching for that feeling for childhood memories. When I was growing up, uh, I had the same Easter every single year. It started at about 6.45, 7 a.m. My mom would knock on my door and she would bust through and she would go, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. Oh, mom. That was my alarm clock for every single year, Easter Sunday morning. Not even kidding. That's great when you're six or seven or eight, but then I'm like 14 and 16 and 18, and there's my mom busting through, bursting out into song, Christ the Lord is risen today. And then we, it was followed by the same exact thing every year. We'd go downstairs in my kitchen. We'd have two things for breakfast. We'd have French toast. And my mom had one of those little cookie cutters in the shape of a cross. <laughs> so she would, you know, have us do that. And so we had these little cross things made out of French toast, which was a little sacrilegious, maybe, now that I think about it. <laughs> but that was followed by pancakes 
to represent, of course, the stone that was rolled away. Yes, we were that family. But it's true, though. Maybe some of you are chasing after those memories. Maybe you used to be involved with church, but somehow over the years you've just kind of waned away and you've become de-churched or anti-churched somehow and no longer is it really a part of your existence or your life, but you're back here and you're giving it a try. Maybe you're here this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, and you're looking for peace Maybe you're looking for peace just within your family because grandma said it's Easter Sunday and we all need to go to church. Okay, let's go. We want peace in the family. Mom said, dad said, we're all going to church. Now get out of bed. Let's go. All right, we're here because we're not wanting to, you know, upset the parents or something, right? But maybe on a deeper level, maybe you're looking for a whole different kind of peace. Maybe your world's been filled with anxiety and anxiousness and maybe as you look at your checkbook and you look at your bank statements and you look at your financial situation, there's anxiousness there. There's fear there and you need, you need a solution somehow because according to your logic and the way things have been working out so far, it's not really panning out. Or maybe you look at your life and your marriage, you look at your family, your concern, you look at your job, you look at your future, you look at the trials and tribulations that have made their way down into your story. And you're like, man, there's got to be something more than this. And there's so much, there's so much rough anxiety and I just feel like I'm in the middle of the storm. And maybe somehow somebody's going to have a solution to give me some peace in my life. Maybe for some of you, you're here because you're looking for the truth. Maybe you've heard the story and maybe you're skeptical and all right, well, I don't know if all this stuff's really true. And maybe there's one third of the planet that are completely duped this morning, but I guess I'll go anyway. But man, give me, give me something I can believe in. Maybe, maybe you're looking for truth this morning. Maybe for some, you just heard the song this week, Take Me to Church. God, is that you? You know, and, and maybe that's how you found your way inside the doors here this morning. And praise God for that. We can redeem that song, perhaps. But we're glad you're here any way you cut it. But what I want to talk about here this morning is I want to talk to you about two reasons why this for you can be a happy Easter. Don't you love that saying that we say to each other, right? Hope you have a happy Easter. Yesterday, I had been running some errands with, with some friends and, and we were going through Chick-fil-A and the, and the lady was there and, you know, they were waiting on a sandwich or something like that. So we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And she's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing good. How you doing? She's like, I'm doing good. And I said, today's a beautiful day. It's Saturday and tomorrow's Easter. She's like, yep, tomorrow's Easter. And then I'm like, Easter is the best holiday. And she's like, oh, Easter is the best holiday. And I'm like, no, really, I mean that like of all the other holidays, Easter, like Easter is the best, most important holiday. She's like, oh, no, you're totally right. It is the most important holiday. So we're like speaking to each other without speaking to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, I believe in Jesus and I'm excited. She's like, I am too, but I really can't say it because there's other people around. I'm a Chick-fil-A employee. But Easter's the best. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter. I'm going to tell you two reasons why this can be a happy Easter. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to pick up the narrative here in just a moment. But to bring us all up to speed, we need to understand, talk about people that are looking for peace. As we enter into this story, there was not 
peace in the lives of the disciples and the followers of Jesus right here in the beginning of John chapter 20. Maybe some of you have been following along with our devotionals that we've had online that we handed out the last couple of weeks and you've been tracking along with this final week of Jesus, this Passion Week, what it's called. And it began with several days in Jerusalem, overturning the temple, coming there as the Passover feast was about ready to begin and, and you see the various things that Jesus went through and we get to Thursday night. And there was Jesus with his disciples in the upper room and they had wine and they had a feast and they had this intimate fellowship like they had many other times before, sharing a meal together just the same as they had shared their lives together for three years, experienced great things and great joys, experienced tragedy and heartache. They were living their lives together and these 12 and many others were there following Jesus to Jerusalem, this is going to be it. The king is coming to overthrow the government. Our new Messiah and Savior is here. And it was that moment, right in the middle of the meal, that Jesus stood up and took off his outer garment and got down on his knees and went around to each one and began to wash their feet. Kings do not wash feet. But Jesus says, now I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. And I'm going to get down to your dirty, grimy, smelly, disgusting feet. And I'm going to wash them because I want to prove that I am lowering myself to become a servant. So you should do this for each other as well. But I am teaching you something so much deeper than that. The Son of Man came to seek the lost and to serve the lost. And this great king has lowered himself to prove that love sees through the dirt and the grime. And so we know the story, if you've been around church for a while, later on that night, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, this Mount of Olives where there's olive trees around. I have been there. It's beautiful. You can picture it in a moonlit grove and they're just there like they were many times before. Sometimes they would go there and they would pray together. Sometimes they would laugh together and tell stories. Sometimes scripture says they would sing a hymn together. Imagine 12 dudes sitting around just a cappella going for it. They had experienced so much together and this was kind of their go-to place. But tonight was different. Tonight was different because Jesus knew this was his hour of suffering. And he knew that as Judas came up and the legion of Roman soldiers came to arrest him, that this was the beginning of the end. And so they took him away and they beat him and they mocked him and they whipped him and they tortured him. After a quick and hasty trial, early in the morning, what shall we do with him? Crucify him. He was led out and at nine o'clock in the morning he was stapled to a giant wooden cross and for six hours he hung there until three o'clock when he breathed his last words and he was brought down and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. So I want you to enter into that story for a moment here in John chapter 20 as these disciples had just experienced an eerie silence on Saturday. Tragedy had overcome on Friday. Tragedy had entered into their world. Their world was broken. And Saturday there was nothing but anticipation. So here in John chapter 20, let's pick up the narrative. Here's what it says. Now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now just stop right there for a minute. Do you know who wrote the book of John? 
His name's John. And John likes to refer to himself in this book as the one whom Jesus loved. Right? You just got to love scripture and personalities. I mean, think about that. It's like you got myself and you got Brian and you got Matt. You know, our three pastors. I'm like, well, what'd you do? Well, we went to a conference. Oh, who went? Well, Brian and Matt and the one that Jesus loved. You know, in John, you get this idea that he was just a super emotional guy. I picture him as like just a hugger. You know, at the Last Supper, he was the one that says, we're leaning up against Jesus. He says, is it I, Lord? Is it I? It can't be I. I'm the one that you love. You know, but that's how he names himself in here, right? So continue on. And, and Mary said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) You just got to love the humor in this account. Just as a reminder, John's a quick runner. Verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he, he just will not let this go, will he? also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So here you've got this incredible scene, all the, all the anxiety, all the fears, all the uncertainty. Will this all truly happen? Completely come true as we saw in that opening video coming through and seeing that Jesus is alive. He's not here. He's risen. And I don't know what that does for you here this morning, but if you believe in Jesus, you have got to understand that this is a huge vital concept of which everything else hangs. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, I don't really know. How can you really prove that? You know, what what are some evidences? I mean, that's a pretty big claim. Somebody raising up from the dead. I just want to list off a couple of quick things for you. Number one, it was prophesied 700 years before. If you believe scripture and you believe Jesus was the Messiah and everything else, you have to believe in the resurrection because it was prophesied in the same scripture that everything else was. In Isaiah 53, in Psalms, in several other places, it talks about how the Messiah would not see decay, how he would rise from the dead, his bones would not be broken. What about this? Notice the huge change in the disciples. They went from being 12 ordinary, timid, afraid, unlearned men to all of a sudden after this event, they became powerful, bold, confident, leading movements. Fishermen do not lead movements. It's people that are educated, people that are respected, people that are wealthy, people that have a name you see an incredible transformation in their lives. Think about the character of the disciples. Okay, think about the fact that these are law-abiding, good Jewish boys, right? They know the Ten Commandments. They know the commandment that says, thou shalt not worship anyone else but the Lord God. 
And yet they're holding up and worshiping Jesus if they didn't really believe that he was God and believe that he overcame death, proving his deity once and for all, they would have been committing idolatry. Why would they create this lie? And why would this great lie cause them to do such other awful things like giving to the poor and sharing all of their possessions? What about this? We read here in John chapter 20 and in other accounts that the very first witnesses to the tomb were women. Now, I hate to tell you this, ladies, but 2,000 years ago, women were very much disrespected in the culture of the Middle East and largely around the world. If you were gonna create a big lie, if you wanted people to buy into something and believe it, the last people that you would have as your primary witnesses would be women. Their testimony wasn't allowed in court. They weren't believed. But yet that's who Jesus chose to have be the very first ones that would discover the empty tomb. And that's the testimony that God said, I want this story to hang on, is women. I was expecting a lot of ladies to go, amen to that. What about some people who say, well, maybe the body was just stolen. I want us to think about this for a second. How could the Roman guards have allowed that to happen with all the unrest that Jesus had caused and all the political turmoil. They had specifically guards there all night long. These are professional soldiers who in that culture, when a soldier did not do his job and a prisoner escaped, that soldier would be killed. You see that several other places in scripture and in history. So it's impossible that the body was stolen in the middle of the night. And there are some who say, well, Jesus didn't really die. It's called the swoon theory. He was just swooned and he fainted and he wasn't really dead. These were professional executioners that were there at the cross. Do you really think after all night long being tortured, being beaten, bleeding out, carrying his cross up to Golgotha and hanging there for six hours. There were some that didn't even make it to be able to be on the cross because they died before that. So after hanging for six hours on the cross of you know, dying from asphyxiation because you can't even get your lungs to take in any more air because you're so weak and they're filling with fluid, do you really think there could have been a mistake as to whether or not he was dead? with all the Roman soldiers around in the big crowd, they even, they even poked a sword in his side to make sure of it. And then it was wrapped, as scripture says, in 75 pounds of spices and linens. That by itself would have suffocated him, even if he was still alive. And then he was put into a tomb for three days with no water and no food and would have had to bust out from the inside. I don't think so. But probably one of the most Compelling evidences that Jesus rose from the dead was the dedication of his disciples, right? I'm not talking about brainwashing. I'm not talking about, you know, people die for a lot of different causes, right? I'm talking about these people that were there, first person, that saw him and spent time with him. And they saw the resurrected Christ and they believed in it so much that they were willing to lay down their lives for it. If they had made it up or if it was a myth, if it was a hoax, if they all got together and said, hey, what do you say we, you know, and we're just going to propagate this lie? 
Don't you think at some point in the game, one of them, when they're facing the hangman's noose or their head's about ready to get chopped off or they're about ready to be martyred, would have said, um, time out. It's been a good gig. But I've got something I want to share. Don't you think Peter, who according to legend was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus was and his wife who was crucified with him? Don't you think at some point when they're getting ready to nail those things in, he would have been like, um, gigs up. It never really happened. These guys believed with all their heart and all their soul that this was real. They died for this cause. There's two points I want to share with you, super simple this morning. Two reasons that this can be truly a happy Easter for you. And the first one that we're going to put on the screen is simply this. That Jesus loves you to death. I want you to look at that phrase and I want you to think about that. Jesus loves you to death. The word for gospel is the word good news. And I just want to share with you some good news about that here this morning. And the good news is this, that all are broken all are loved and all are invited. All are broken. The book of Romans chapter 3 verse 23 and the book of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that's no surprise here in this crowd, is it? That there's nobody here that's perfect? I don't think anybody would stand up and say, um, yep, right here, Perfection. Nobody would say that because we all know that we've lied and we've cheated, we've stolen, we've lusted, we've gotten angry, we've gotten violent, we've, uh, you know, we've coveted, we've, we've done all kinds of things. None of us are perfect and scripture says all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham, it doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa, it doesn't matter if you're Brian Eisner, our other pastor. It doesn't matter who you are, how great you are, you're still falling woefully short of God's standard of perfection. And because God is perfect and because heaven is a perfect place and he can't stand the sight of sin, that automatically disqualifies any of us from going there because of our sin. And it says the wages of sin is death. Wages are what we earn. If you've got a job, you earn wages. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned. So what we've earned because of that is death, separation, isolation from God because of our sin. All are broken. The second piece of it is that all are loved. All are loved. And that's where John 3.16 comes in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish. You're not gonna have that spiritual death, but will live forever. We'll have the gift of eternal life. I love the way Romans chapter five, verse eight puts it. It says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not when we were over here when we looked our best. It was not on our wedding day. 
It wasn't in our senior year portrait, photoshopped version of ourselves. It's not when we were all cleaned up and when we were looking great and like, this is what I have to offer to the world. But it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a very clear distinction in scripture between those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive. And that cross right there makes all the difference. And that's why we can talk about the wonderful cross and the glorious cross. And 2,000 years ago, people wouldn't have known what you were talking about because that's a death tool. That's like me wearing around a shirt that says, the amazing electric chair. The glorious hangman's noose. What are you talking about? Well, that's how people would have viewed the cross 2,000 years ago. But the glorious truth is that on that cross, Jesus Christ, the only one that lived in perfection and didn't sin, was nailed there. And his blood was shed as the ultimate payment and sacrifice for our sins. The cross is a beautiful place where God's justice and God's mercy meet. God's justice, because we've done all this stuff wrong and this must be paid for. But God's mercy that says, I will send my own son down to show you the fullest extent of my love and he will pay for your sin. Both things are accomplished in the cross of Jesus Christ. It changes lives, going from death to life. And at this point, I've got a story that I want to share with you. A man who's a very good friend of mine named John McNeese. And I want you to just take in this story and, and listen closely to see how God brought John from death to life. Watch this. Early on in my life, I had a lot of issues, divorced family, so a lot of sadness and loneliness. And But my mom was a very, very spiritual lady. My dad is completely opposite, just footloose, fancy free. I would spend summers with my dad. And so one summer I went home to be with my dad and I decided to stay. I know that that really you know, broke my mom's heart. The only thing I wanted to do was play football and sports and wrestle and lots of terrible relationships with women and partying and drinking and, and drugs and just a mess. And then of course college was more the same on a grander scale. And I did so poorly, you know, I would just stop going to class. So I flunked out, went back home, went to work in the coal fields with my dad. I come home one day and my dad's got the Marine Corps recruiter there at my house because that's what he wanted me to do. And I said, well, you know, yeah, I think I could do that. God bless my mom and my grandmother. They would always, whenever I'd come home on leave, they would say, please go to church with us. And I would go. Then of course I'd go out and go partying. But I was just running, 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 running away from God. He was not gonna catch me. I mean, I'm a Marine. I don't need help. I can take care of myself, and I didn't want to surrender. I've been in the ocean for six months, and I go to this club, and I look out, and I see this girl out there dancing with one of her friends. 
And so I met her, I started dancing with her, and then later on, a few hours later, she looks at me and she says, uh, what are you gonna do with your life? I mean, I almost fell out of my chair. She even asked me, you know, if, what, if I was a Christian. I said, well, you know, I kind of grew up in a church, but I haven't been going now for about four years. And she said, well, you know, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to go to church with me. And I said, okay. So I started going to church with her, and things began to change for me. I knew in the deepest part of my soul that I needed to be saved. I just, I just couldn't do it. Thanksgiving of 1989, I went home. And of course, I go home and my mom and my grandmother, they want me to go to church. And there was this young man speaking and he was talking about two brothers. One, one son is out harvesting the fields, he's working. And the other is at home asleep. And I'm going, that's me, I've wasted my life. And so next thing I know, I just break down. My mom and my um, sister, they knew what was happening because they had never really seen me cry. I always try to act like this tough guy. And so this uh, guy said, you know, if you want to get saved, come up here right now. And so I get up and I went forward and I got saved that night. So I went back to California and I instantly got involved with children's ministry. I've always had such an unbelievable love for kids, even before I was a believer. Of course, now, man, I'm going, this is going to be great, you know, because I can love these kids like Jesus. And I thank God, you know, for giving me a spirit, because I know that that's the only good thing in me. I know what my life was like before. All my Marine Corps buddies, you know, hey, man, let's go out. Oh. Man, I'm in a relationship. I love her. I'm going to church. I'm in children's ministry. Man, God is unbelievable. Uh, you know, to love me that way. After all the things that I'd done, I, I really didn't think that he would love me. Um, I think that's the reason why I kept on running, because I, I knew that I was too bad, you know, for him to forgive me. And yet he has. I should have died so many times. And yet he is, by his, his grace, you know, brought me to this point in my life. It continues to do unbelievable miracles all the time. Amen, well, isn't that awesome? John talks several times about the idea of being saved. And what that terminology means is, man, he needed to be rescued. He wasn't a bad guy. But he was on the throne of his life. He was ruling and Jesus rescued him out, saved him from that kind of spiritual death and futility of living for himself into brand new life with him. First reason we can have a happy Easter is because Jesus loves us to death. Second reason is that Jesus invites us to be raised to life. That invitation goes out to everybody here. Jesus is inviting everybody here to experience his resurrection. Well, what do you mean? Well, in the book of Romans chapter 6, 
Listen to this. It says, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. When you talk about Easter, when you talk about springtime, when you talk about new life, what better day to make a decision that says, I no longer want to live in spiritual death. I want to truly understand what happened on that cross and I want to be raised to life just like Jesus was raised to life. When you make that decision, something incredible happens. There's a beautiful, great exchange that takes place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He that knew no sin, that is Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That one who was the healer became the one who was wounded. That one who was the savior became the one that could not be rescued when he was on the cross. The one who was despised was that way so that you could become loved. He took our burdens so that you could be loosed of yours in a glorious freedom. And he took his final breath saying, it is finished. So we could take the very first breath of life to say, it has begun. Have you taken that step? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what would happen in your life if you were to die today or next week or a year or five years from now and you were to stand up before God and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Well, because I went to church a couple times a year or maybe I went to church every single Sunday or maybe I gave a lot of money or I served and I volunteered or man, I was always generous with people that needed it and I've tried to live a good life and I forgave people and I did all of this stuff. Unfortunately, that is not enough because your dirty laundry still needs to be taken care of. All the good in the world will not erase the sin that has come into our lives. It doesn't work that way. If we could work for our own salvation, then it wouldn't have even had to happen that Jesus died on the cross. If you can work for it, it's not grace. And so that's where Jesus' invitation is there for us. In the same way in the garden, as Mary was there crying and, and someone said, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, I do not know where they have taken the Lord. Please tell me. She didn't recognize that that was Jesus until he said her name, Mary. And it wasn't just the voice because he had already been talking, but it's when he called her name that she turned and she responded and she embraced him. Notice again that all this happened where? In a garden. Jesus was acting as a gardener. Think all the way back to Genesis when God breathed into man his very first breath. Where did all that happen? Where did that narrative begin? In a garden. And here there's new life that is happening in a garden. And so this morning, I want to call us to something.
Maybe God is calling your name this morning. Maybe like John, you were just living and thinking that everything was fine, not recognizing that God had something much greater for you in mind. God desires this morning to change lives. And God didn't come to make good people better. Jesus came to bring dead people to life. Where do you find yourself in that narrative here this morning? That's my question that I want to leave you with. I'd love us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to encourage you this morning, a day where we celebrate new life, I just want to encourage you to think about your own spiritual state right now. And man, if you've maybe never heard this message before, maybe if in a special way God is prompting you or God is calling your name or God is drawing you and saying, you don't have that. Maybe you've got information, you know about the story, but you don't have relationship. You've never taken that step to go from death to life. That step that says, I believe in Jesus and I'm handing over the keys to my life to you and I'm trusting in you and your son Jesus and what you did on the cross to pay the payment for everything I've done wrong. If you've never taken that step, I just want to encourage you to take that step this morning. It's not difficult. I don't want to say it's easy because it certainly is costly. It'll cost you your life. I can tell you right now, it's going to be worth it. To have a relationship, a restored relationship with the God of the universe is worth it. But if you're not sure that you've ever done that before, I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. And man, my hope and prayer this morning is that across the, across the world, billions of people are hearing the same exact message. But man, if you've never come to that moment before, I just want you to repeat this prayer after me in your heart. It says, dear God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he came to pay the price for my sin and shame. I confess that I'm not worthy. And on my own, I can't earn righteousness. I invite you to come in as Lord of my life. I surrender my life to who you are. Make me a new creation through the power of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Scripture says if you meant that from the bottom of your heart, and that was your true confession that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and rescued just like John. I've experienced that. Many here have experienced that. And man, my hope and prayer is that we've had some this morning that experienced that. I just want to throw this out. I know this is a little bold. But man, if there's anybody that prayed that right now for the first time, you know what I'd love to have you do is just stand up right now. He said, I want Jesus in my life, and I just prayed that, and, and, and this is who I am, this is what I want, this is what I want to be. Anybody like that, just stand to your feet right now. We're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to do anything like that. But man, we just want to celebrate with you as your family. I want Jesus this morning. You did that in the quietness of your heart. Our prayer is that God will give you that new life. We just want to encourage you. Say something to me. Say something to Brian. Say something to Matt or the friend that brought you. We would love to help you out in that journey. 
to give you some information about your new life in Christ and what that can look like. What a great testimony, though, every year, right, on Easter where you can remember where that happened. My hope and prayer is that that happened this morning in many people's hearts.